Great. Well, it's really good to be with you. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you for having us all and um, looking after us all so well. Um, yeah, I, I do live in, in Glasgow. I am originally from Edinburgh, just to maybe reassure you or, or make you concerned for me that I moved to the Wild West from this beautiful city. You can tell I'm still affectionate towards it. Um, but we live through there, yep. Um, Noah and Lydia, my wife B. Uh, go and chat to them afterwards. They're around as well. They're much more interesting than me. So go and say hi to them. Um, and I've known Glenn for about 12 years. I studied uh, up in Aberdeen University. I was part of the same church as him there while he was there, and Karen and Zoe. Um, and uh, yeah, just really appreciate his input, something of a mentor to me personally, um, both officially and unofficially over the years. Um, and so you guys are, I'm sh- as I'm sure you know, really blessed to have Glenn and Karen and Zoe as part of your um, fellowship here, as part of your church family. Um, but we better not say too much more about him because his ears will be burning up in Aviemore as he speaks there. Um, but it's really good to be with you over the, over the, the sort of autumn season at Adelaide Place, we thought a lot about practicing the way of Jesus, what it means to put into practice the teachings we hear on a Sunday or throughout the week, and what we read in the Bible, and what it means to live for him Monday to Saturday, not just on a Sunday. And from what I understand from Glenn, you were thinking about a similar theme um, of unforced rhythms of grace. Again, Jesus' invitation to live life with him, life to the full. Um, and that can be really hard sometimes. It can be really difficult. Um, I'm, I'm aware that over the last few weeks in particular, it's been a really difficult time for your church family. And we've been thinking of you a lot and praying for you, especially this weekend. It's really difficult at times to follow Jesus, to live life with him. And we've just been singing as well at the same time of his faithfulness, of his goodness. And we can say that in the darkest times. It's often in those hardest times, isn't it, that God might not seem close, but he is in fact closer than we think. And so as we thought about practicing the way of Jesus, we thought about how the blessing is often in the doing. That this journey of discipleship, of following Jesus, is often more worked out in the uh, living rooms of our houses, in the streets where we live, at the school gates. Often more worked out there and learned there than in the classroom or even in the sanctuary on a church Sunday sometimes, on a Sunday at church sometimes. And so as we thought about that, we thought about some themes of God's invitation first to be with him, not to do things to try and impress him or earn his favor, but just to be with him. And at the same time, it involves discipline, spiritual practices, which are really helpful, times of slowing down enough to to listen to God, to listen to ourselves, to listen to each other, to rest, to remember that practice that Jesus redeemed of Sabbath. Not just for our bodies and for our minds, but also for the world that we are commissioned to look after this world. That Jesus said he came to redeem everything in the world, all of creation. And so we are here to to bring a kind of Sabbath rest to the land as well. And we thought about prayer and we thought about reading scripture. And all of these practices, all of these things that we might do um, are, are really not a course, are they? They're not a kind of, we'll tick that one off, tick that sermon series off, we can move on, we've got it, everyone's got it, don't need to think about it again. It's a constant revisiting, a way of life, and encouraging each other as church family, and challenging one another as well, to live this life for Jesus, day in and day out. And the amazing thing is we get to do it as a family, as a little church family here, as a little church family in Adelaide Place, and all around this country and around the world. And it's just brilliant to be here with you and uh, unite around Jesus. You're right around his word. That's what we come here to do, isn't it? To gather and celebrate together, to encourage one another, to hear from his word. And it's so good that we get to do that together. We're not called to do it alone. 
And so, as we have been thinking in Glasgow about practicing the way of Jesus, as you've been thinking about the unforced rhythms of grace, um, Glenn spoke a couple of weeks ago, I listened to his talk about following Jesus, the person of Jesus, with passion, with everything we've got. As we think about those things, the question I'd love for us to consider this morning is, are we up for it? Are you up for the disruption that Jesus brings as we follow in his ways? Are we up for the interruption to our everyday life that we know brings fullness, but if we're honest, it's often easier to, I don't know, watch Netflix or read a book or good things maybe. But are we up for the disruption that Jesus brings to align our lives, to look like his, to be with Jesus, become like him and do the things that he did? So come with me if you've got a Bible or a phone with an app on it to Luke chapter 5. I think it might be on the screen as well, so you can follow along there or just listen. Um, We're in Luke chapter 5, and uh, we're going to start reading from verse 17. Um, I'd love to pray for us just before we we read the scriptures. Let's, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father... Thank you that you are our our Father and you are Almighty God. That you are Lord of all, you are sovereign, and you invite us into your family. Thank you for these words that we're about to read. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you were there when they were first spoken, when they were first written down. And you're here with us now, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, here with us now. And so we ask by your power and through the words we're going to read from from Scripture, that you would speak, that you would help us encounter the risen Jesus in some way this morning. Thank you that you know each one of us here, that you love us, and we ask that you would help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read then from Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take it into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Amen. This is the word of God. A seemingly normal home then and a remarkable, powerful encounter with Jesus. A home where we get to listen in on this series of, I think, quite disruptive events that take place here. 
Now, I understand that scholars have varied ideas um, about whose house this was. That's something they like to discuss. Um, and some even suggest that it's a house Jesus stayed in for much of his ministry. But certainly, I think we can see um, from this account, it's also in Matthew and Mark, um, that there, the, the house was very well known to Jesus. It's possibly Peter's house in Capernaum, one of, one of Jesus' first disciples. Um, and it, it took place in this, in this home. Whether this account is well known to you or not, I'd just love this morning to draw our attention to three simple ways which Jesus disrupts, as he does with gentleness and also with authority. So firstly then, in this little encounter with Jesus, there is some social disruption. The word that's used here in verse 19 for crowd uh, is often uh, translated or described as kind of the multitudes or even people of the land. Um, These were people who were regarded as commoners. They certainly weren't the leaders or the elite class of the day. And actually in some Jewish law, they um, weren't allowed to eat with, with these people. The Jews weren't allowed to eat with these people. So for Jesus to not only be gathering with them, but for them to be spilling out into the street, there's so many... This is already creating some kind of disruption, some kind of um, questioning of the social norms of the day just by the people who are gathered there. And he's not even started yet. But people were so keen to see Jesus, to be around him. They'd heard of what he had taught and what he was doing. And they knew that there was something worth listening to in what he had to say. And you'll know if you've read um, anything of the, the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life and work and death and resurrection, that he has a bit of a habit of hanging around with the marginalized and the oppressed and the downhearted, the brokenhearted. He disrupts the social norms. Now, perhaps the most obvious disruption, if you were to pick just one in this text, is the kind of glaringly obvious man lowered through the roof while Jesus is mid-sermon, maybe getting some mud in his hair. What's going on here? What is happening? And I think if I was the, the host of this house, which we don't often consider it from their perspective, but I wouldn't be best pleased. Maybe even just not best pleased that there were people, more people than I invited. I don't know, but maybe they'd invited Jesus just for a Sunday lunch, a quiet Sunday lunch, get to know him a bit better, hear what he had to say. That's just my interpretation, it's not in the Bible. Um, but they were, they were definitely more people than they thought there might be. Their people were spilling out onto the streets, they were pushing, wrestling for, for room just to catch a glimpse. And a friend of mine recently pointed out, what if our homes were like this? What if our homes were, okay, maybe not people digging holes in our roofs, but they were places where people wanted to encounter Jesus. They were hungry for Jesus, so much so that we were willing to allow the furniture to be moved around a bit, for there to be a bit of disruption, because people were so eager. They saw something of what we had, not ourselves, but what Jesus has done in us, that they wanted to meet with this Jesus. They wanted to hear more about him. Would we create room for people to encounter him just in our homes, in our everyday lives? And what about the man himself? The words to whom Jesus spoke, forgiveness. Let's consider for a moment the the personal disruption which this man experienced literally at the feet of Jesus. And maybe which we we ourselves might embrace a little bit today. The man who was lowered by his friends, completely unable to get there himself, in front of Jesus, in front of a crowd, potentially quite embarrassing for him, but he knew it was worthwhile. And, and the outcome, 
if we jump forward, is, I think, beyond his wildest dreams, it's safe to say. He left running and carrying the mat that he had been carried in on. We don't know much about this man. We don't know much about his friends either, other than they were pretty strong, quite determined, and actually quite creative in thinking of a solution when they they saw the house was full. Um, But what we do know is that in the culture these events took place, it was generally regarded that people who had a disability or an illness or a disease... Um, were in that position because of some kind of sin in their own life. That's just what people believed in those days. And so they were um, ostracized from society. They were outcast. They were often in poverty. And so, and so, Jesus speaking forgiveness first to this man put him right squarely back in the accepted zone. He said to this man, in effect, you are accepted. You're not an outcast. You are welcome at my feet. Or another way, God's not angry with you. God's not angry with you. And what a risk this man took, even in coming. Again, we don't know the, the kind of context, whether he'd begged his friends to bring them, whether they'd encouraged it. But the risk of all of that party, that group of people, was huge. They didn't know what this teacher, Jesus, Jewish teacher, is what he was, kind of gaining a bit of um, uh, popularity, a bit of maybe what he was well known among among the people in the area. But they took a risk in bringing this man to Jesus. Maybe he was going to stick with the uh, typical teaching of, of Jews in that day that this man is in this position because of his sin. There's nothing I can do to help him. But Jesus says, you are forgiven. That's the thing he starts with. That's the first thing. So Jesus challenges the firmly held convictions of the teachers of the law. The man was able to walk again. Remember, the teachers of the law would have thought that this man was in the position because of his sin, because of something he'd done wrong. But by their own beliefs, by their own laws, the man was able to walk again at the end of the story. Therefore, he must have been forgiven. must have caused quite a bit of theological head scratching among the teachers of the law that day. But if this was such a big risk, if there was faith required for these men and for the man himself to come to Jesus, why did they bother? Why did they do it? I think because they saw something in Jesus, in what he did, yes, in what he said, but in him as a person, in who he was, that he stopped and had compassion. He spent time with the people no one else was spending time with. They knew that this person was someone worth the risk. They had confidence in him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Learn to live the unforced rhythms of grace. Because it's there that we experience Jesus bringing wholeness and healing to all of our our being. So Jesus brings social disruption. He welcomes everyone. Jesus brings personal disruption as well. And I think Jesus here also brings a religious disruption. Yesterday I was um, washing some dishes and Noah has got, it's actually my toy camera from when I was younger, but it's it's a camera with two viewfinders and big handles so you can hold it up. And he was wondering, it's meant to have film, it's got no film in it because we're stingy. So uh, he had had no film, he was running around taking pictures of of me and Lydia who was sitting there as well. And uh, I turned around for a minute and and the next thing I, I heard was a massive crash. And you know the pause that children do before they're about to cry, you know it's coming. He did that and then he cried. And eventually he calmed down and worked out what he'd done was he 
he'd been holding the camera up to his eyes and he'd, not, he'd been walking around and he hadn't seen the wall that had crept up on him and he'd walked smack into the, the wall. I mainly tell you that story in case you notice a black eye and you get concerned, but um, there we go. Not really, but how often, I just thought, how often can we be like that a little bit with our lives? We think we know what we're doing, we think we've got it all sorted, and then we smack ourselves in the face with a wall because we've got blinkers on, because we don't see what's going on around us. And I think there's something maybe a little bit similar going on here. See it from the perspective of these teachers of the law. They're standing on pretty solid ground of centuries of teaching, of practice, of belief, Only God can forgive sins. And they're actually right. Only God can forgive sins. But what they miss is Jesus' invitation to, in effect, say, look what I'm doing over here. Raise your gaze a little bit. God is doing a new thing. And you can get in on it. You're invited. Everyone is. But they miss it. They have their blinkers on. And they come up against a brick wall, just like Noah. A little bit. And Jesus, of course, demonstrates his God-given authority here, his authority to even forgive sins. These teachers of the law couldn't see the world of possibilities, the life and the freedom which Jesus was offering just outside the containers of their tradition because they couldn't see what was outside their field of vision. Would we look up, look around and see what God is doing among us here in Portobello and, and join in with what he is doing? with what he is doing. How might we today welcome the disruption of Jesus? The disruption of his kingdom, of the unforced rhythms of grace. And learning these rhythms of grace is really important. It's really helpful and essential to our life as we seek to be with Jesus and become more like him. But, as we said earlier, it's not just Jesus and me up a mountain having a great time. We do this together And we also don't get to keep Jesus to ourselves. We don't get to keep him to ourselves. The way of Jesus does not only mean that we have a community of faith around about us to cheer us on and encourage us, to pick us up and challenge us. It does mean that, absolutely. But it also means if we choose to follow Jesus, to be his apprentices, learning his way of life, then we will go to and spend time with the people on the outside the outsiders, the people on the edge, the people no one else wants to spend time with. And Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, doesn't he? Where it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The poor, the prisoners, the oppressed, all who mourn, the brokenhearted, those who are ashamed. These are the people who Jesus went to and who still goes to today if we would but follow him. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, wrote this in one of his books. Being where Jesus is means being in the company of the people whose company Jesus seeks. Being in the company of the people whose company Jesus seeks. In the kingdom of God, in in this account, there's not only room for the marginalized. They're often the first in the door. They're the ones who Jesus goes to and spends time with, who he seems to default to almost, and where we will find him. I wonder if this morning there might be a, a particular disruption which you know God would ask you to embrace, even today. 
For some of us, it could be simply to invite others into our home. This social disruption of having the furniture rearranged, of having opportunities for people to encounter Jesus in your home. Maybe Jesus would ask, are you open to having your resources stretched a little bit? To having holes in your roof? Not literally. Because people are so hungry to meet with me, to meet with him. We're busy people, stretch for time. But God says, would you just give me what you have, what's in your hand, wherever you spend your time, your money, your resources, across this community. Yes, here on a Sunday and throughout the week, but also at the school gates and on our way to work. Perhaps there are some here who God might be calling to open up their home in an even more radical way to um, disrupt something of their social norms. Maybe it's just inviting someone for dinner that you wouldn't usually invite. Or to be honest, they're a bit difficult to invite. If you get invited for dinner after this, don't be offended, by the way. I'm sure you're lovely. Um, just thought that. Um, but, or maybe, maybe it's asking someone to come and live with you. They know that that would just give them a rest from their situation. I don't know what it might be. Um, friends of B&R's uh, about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, maybe more, um, they uh, opened up their home in a, in a different way as a family, as a family of five already, and they adopted a little boy into their family. Um, what an incredible witness to the adoption of God into, uh, that we are welcomed into his family, but also just saying, we've, we, we've got a bit, bit of space. We can welcome someone else. We can share the love that we have as a family that we know from God with someone who wouldn't otherwise experience that. Someone who's just waiting for that person. So they, they adopted a little boy and, and are now a family of six mm. and are thriving in that um, situation. But I bet it brought some social disruption, some kind of turmoil to their house. It wasn't always easy. Where might the radical, inclusive hospitality of Jesus disrupt our lives in some way? However big or small that might seem to you just now. Or where might we as individuals or, or as a church perhaps need to see something of the religious disruption that Jesus brings to have our eyes lifted, our blinkers taken off. The teachers of the law here had all the answers, didn't they? And yet they were closed to Jesus' invitation to join him in the kingdom of heaven work. And as we continue to practice the way of Jesus, practice the unforced rhythms of grace, could we slow down enough to listen to God, to see where he is leading before our experience or even what we think we know to be true? And then which of us need to experience something of the gentle restoration of Jesus in particular, to just be laid at his feet? But that involves a cost as well, doesn't it? That involves some personal disruption. We're not always quite sure of the outcome, of where he'll lead us. But we can have confidence in the person of Jesus. We can have confidence in his healing, in his restoration. That as we read in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will continue it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I think for me, if I'm honest, I can find myself relating pretty easily to all three of these groups, these disruptions, sometimes all at once. But I think for me, recently, God has been speaking about increasing my faith, about embracing something of that personal disruption, being willing to lay bare before him first, and, and healed by him and restored by him, and then creating space for others to encounter Jesus. It can cost us. But Jesus is so kind, and his kingdom will never end. His kingdom is, is all-powerful. 
And his kingdom is where we experience fullness of life. So will we welcome the disruption of Jesus? Yes, maybe, sometimes. We often sing in church, I surrender all to you, God. Here I am, wholly available. And if we're honest, if I'm honest at least, sometimes I should really sing, here I am, sometimes available, when it suits me, available. I surrender most things, but I'll keep this to myself, thanks very much. Learning the unforced rhythms of grace is a journey. A journey of lots of false starts, of lots of mistakes, confusion and doubts at, at times, and so much more grace, an ocean of grace, Jesus promises us. And so as God's Spirit leads us and empowers us, might we say afresh today, we welcome the disruption of Jesus as we seek to follow him. As we seek to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to do the things that he did. Let me pray for us just now. Let's pray. God, we're so aware often that we need your help. We're so conscious of of how great you are, of how good you are, and of how often we are not. And yet you welcome us just as we are. So wherever we are today, whatever you are calling us into, we need your help. Bring your healing, Jesus. Bring your healing to areas of our all areas of our life. To our body, to our mind, to our spirit. And God, if there's people here this morning who have been hurt by church, by an experience of um, a different church or whatever, that that you would bring healing there with your gentle touch. If there's people who are searching for you, who, who don't know what this following Jesus is all about, would you right now just bring them an assurance of your presence, of your love for them, that you love them just as you are and you long to see them transformed into who they were created to be. Give us opportunities and and courage as well to invite others into our lives, to eat with us, to be part of our extended family, a kind of family on mission for your kingdom purposes, Jesus. And Lord, remove blinkers from each one of us who would have them, blinkers which hold us back from seeing things as you see them, from seeing people as you see them. Would you once again, Lord, break our hearts for the things that break yours? Just as we walk around our neighborhoods, wherever we spend our time, would we ask, how do you see this situation? How do you see this person, God? What would you have me say into their life? And Lord, we pray one of the oldest and simplest prayers of the church. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe your life, your truth, and your healing into our lives. We thank you so much for your presence. Would we be more aware of you with us today and every day as we seek to follow you? Amen. Amen.